The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to Clerical Conversations on the Crisis. I am Stephen Heiner, and this show is appearing on the Restoration Radio Network. Our guest today is Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency, Father, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Nice to be here. Our show today is generously sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. So, um, Your Excellency and Father, it seems like we were doing this just a little while ago, weren't we? Yes, there's just so much coming through that we can't keep up with it in a way. Uh, we have to constantly address it. And and I think that's helpful for a lot of our listeners. I, I think we remember one of our conversations on one of our shows last week was with someone uh, who is coming to us from the Novus Ordo. Um, and there's quite a few listeners who, who are, I think, now finally provoked to look at, at circumstances. And I was chatting with some people this week, uh, friends of mine who know I'm Catholic and who know I'm traditionally minded, and, and they were bringing up this interview. And I tried to explain that this is a, a much larger issue, and I think that the, the conversations I had with them were part of what you're doing, what you and Father are doing here, is explaining that this goes all the way back to Vatican II, that there is a group of Catholics who accept Vatican II as a valid council, and that its teachings are either misinterpreted, the Pope is misinterpreted, the media is bad, and then there are people who, like yourself, um, have seen that there has been something wrong um, for a long time, and you um, have looked at what the solution is to, to understand that. I think that as Francis's interview has sort of landed with a big thud, that people are using this opportunity. They may not go back and read um, the documents of the, the, the council, but they will look at this interview, be shocked into examining the current situation. And uh, for those who haven't, this is maybe your first or second time you've heard His Excellency and Father, 
we have done a number of shows, and I'll post those on Twitter. Um, we did a show six months ago now. I can't believe it feels like a longer time, actually, Your Excellency and Father. But we did a like show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we did that um, on the day after Francis's election, or maybe the night of. Yeah. It might have been yeah. the night of or the day after. And um, I was listening to part of it the other day, and I thought that um, we were fairly mild. And I think at the time people uh, were saying that, uh, you know, we were too strong and we were being unfair and we hadn't given him a chance. And I think um, you've been proven to be fairly mild uh, in comparison to what's happened versus what you said. Yes, uh, I don't think anyone could have foreseen what has come down uh, from the mouth of that man. Uh, it, it is it is shocking, and uh, uh, you know, yes, I I could not have predicted that. You know, same here, and it it it's happened and continues to happen so quickly, uh, and there's so much to uh, try to uh, try to analyze. Going through the uh, interview that he uh, gave, there was so much in there that was shocking uh, that uh, it it just took a very long time to sit and think about and, and uh, to analyze and to digest it all. Um, for those who don't know, Father Chikata and I did a, a very brief show on what had happened to the Franciscan Friars of the Immaculate who had the traditional Latin Mass taken away from them permission-wise, and that, that happened uh, some time ago as well. So we've just had a number of shows, and as I said, I'll be posting to them on Twitter, but I know a lot of people have been writing to us just hungry for information, We'd like to probably send you to the same places where the hosts of Restoration Radio, myself, Nicholas Wansbutter, Justin Soder, where we started, which would be um, traditionalmass.org. That would be the first place we would send a lot of people. There's a lot of articles there. They're written in clear, in a, a clear and understandable prose. Um, un- <laughs> there won't be any worries about. There's no one, you know, Your Excellency. No one ever um, writes articles trying to clarify what you mean. I think uh, there's there's no market to clarify what Bishop Sanborn really means. Um, So if if you're looking for ambiguous prose and stuff that's difficult to understand, don't go to traditionalmass.org. But if you are interested in sort of said that to me today, there's there's uh, somebody uh, there's a novice sort of priest friend that I have, and uh, I always send him all the newsletter and everything. And uh, today I sent him a, a note, and he said. Your writing is always very clear, dot, 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 and always a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> there's, yes, there's no hermeneutic of Bishop Sanborn. It's just, it is just what it is. The hermeneutic um, so of condemnation. Looking, yes, that is correct. And, and that is, we, are, we are very okay with that. And if you're looking for that kind of clear Catholic writing, writing that sings to you, writing that speaks to your Catholic sense, which is what I think a lot of us sense the very first time we went there, Go to traditionalmass.org, click over in the article sidebar, uh, and, and and just start reading. It's sort of it's there's a menu there where you can look at. Do you have questions about the mass? Do you have questions about the Society of Saint Pius X? Do you have questions about the Vatican II popes? You can you can pick and start reading. And what's nice also about these articles is they're extensively footnoted. Um, they're very much His Excellency and Father would tell you, don't take their word for it. Go look it up yourself because they had to go look it up themselves to write the article. So um, 
just make sure you bring your Latin, French, Greek dictionaries with you um, when when you're dealing with those. Makes it look good. We don't understand it either. But if I <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is coming from from His Excellency, who had to teach like a logic class in Russian uh, last semester. Um, so traditionalmass.org is the first resource we're going to recommend. We're also going to recommend um, sggresources.org, and that is a place where Father Father Chikata has. Um, and St. Gertrude's has different resources, be they books, videos, um, uh, article links uh, to Father Chikata's blog. I think that's fatherchikata.com, right, Father? Yes. And you, you might also add, Stephen, that uh, the seminary doesn't have its own website yet, but um, if you go to SGG Resources, you can find a link for Most Holy Trinity Seminary for a subpage that we have that describes our apostolate down here, gives you address and contact information if uh, you're interested in the seminary or uh, if you'd like to donate and support Bishop Sanborn's excellent work. See, and you took the words right out of my mouth, Father. We don't have to wait till the end for the pitch. We can pitch right from the beginning. <laughs> Um, that, that subpage you can find at traditionalmass.org forward slash seminary, and um, what I what I like about um, what I like about that page that subpage is there is um, about half of the page says introductory principles, and it walks you through what kind of seminarian needs to show up here. But it's also a good ten thousand foot overview of you know how a traditional Catholic might look at the current crisis. So um, you don't need if whether whether you're considering a vocation or not, or if you know a young man who has, you know, who has an inclination, but he obviously might be horrified by the Novus Ordo, you might send him to this page, but you might read that page yourself. The introductory principles are, are well worth revisiting. Uh, and then, of course, I have to recommend our sponsor to, uh, today, Novus Ordo Watch. They've got uh, a lot of uh, good videos. Uh, that's where I first saw the beach ball picture. Uh, they seem to always be on top of uh, what's going on over there um, in Rome, and uh, there, that's a good site, novasordowatch.org. I think, um, Your Excellency and Father, as I alluded to, I've had conversations with friends this week, and really, this division isn't just about Francis's interview. For for those those who are listening, who come to us from the Novus Ordo, who up until recently didn't know that there were priests and bishops who opposed Vatican II, really, this isn't about Francis. This is about what is the role of Vatican II, and uh, and how, as a Catholic, are we supposed to deal with Vatican II and its the the claimants that come afterwards? Do you think that's that's fair? Yes, I do. I say it all goes back to the Council. Anything that we're seeing today goes straight back to that Council. The the Council was the, the goal of the Council. Its essential purpose was to paint up the Catholic Church in such a way to make it pleasing to the modern world with the naive foolishness that the modern world was going to look at this new painted thing and come crawling on its knees and, and that all of these people, the atheists and everyone else, would become fervent new Catholics, not Catholics, but they would embrace the new Catholicism that was all uh, uh, altered to fit the modern world and that um, they would just, uh, you know, a whole new beautiful springtime would occur because the Catholic Church would bring in all of these alienated people. And the opposite has actually occurred. It is that the Catholics have gone over to the atheists and the agnostics and the liberals and the relativists 
and uh, have lost the faith. If you look at the polls, they've lost the faith. It's, it's usually about 80% who hold to some or other heresy or many heresies. They don't believe in transubstantiation, or they do believe in contraception. They believe in abortion. Um, it, it's appalling, and it's always around 80%. And then there's a 20% that has managed to survive, uh, so to speak, and they always emerge in those polls at 20%. And these are the ones that are really wringing their hands right now because they were able to at least construct a certain satisfactory way of life under Ratzinger. They, they considered him to favor tradition, and they thought that that would be the trend uh, in the future, that Vatican II would gradually become more traditional or, or there would be some semblance of continuity in Vatican II. But this is a, a complete reversal for them. They are bitter, they, are, they feel betrayed, and they don't know what to do. And, and a lot of them are, are coming over to our position or are seriously considering our position. I think that, uh, well, first of all, Your Excellency, there there you go mentioning contraception and abortion. I mean, why why are you focusing on those? Those aren't really important. I mean, if you <laughs> I know. understand. I'm one of those small-minded people, though. Very small-minded of you. Pelagians and restorationist types. <laughs> triumphalist. I was, I was I know, Bishop Dolan a triumphalist the other day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say there was, rosaries if, if it, and things like that. Uh, and <laughs> right, if Bishop Sanborn's um, car had bumper stickers, it would say ultramontanist, restorationist, Pelagian, um, triumphalist. It would, it would yes, the lots uh, of that, that, uh, I plead guilty on all of those items. Uh, and uh, the uh, so, uh, but contraception. Uh, you know, that that always gets swept under the rug. St. Thomas Aquinas said that it participates in the notion of murder. And most Catholics who are of childbearing age are popping contraceptive pills, and they are doing so with the blessing of their Novus Ordo priests. And it is something that is very, very closely linked up to abortion, and that is that the the uh, that human beings and not God are the arbiters of who shall live and who shall die in that womb, and it's a very very serious problem. Uh, and uh, and the uh, and of course abortion is murder and and you know and and Bergoglio says you know we have to you know de-emphasize these things this week. How do you de-emphasize the killing of babies? I mean, can somebody please explain that to me? that you're going to de-emphasize the killing of little innocent babies? What, what kind of a man is this? And, and, and contraception and, and you know, sodomitic perversion, that we should de-emphasize these things and, and then show mercy. The only way that you could take that comment is that we are supposed to give a free pass to these people. How else? When was the church not merciful to a contrite sinner? But the way that he put that, and the way that he presented it was, we have to get off the, you know, the emphasis on these things and show mercy, as if these people will get a free pass in the confessional, those that still exist. He said the, the, the uh, confessional should not be a torture chamber. You know, since when was the confessional a torture chamber for someone who came in penitent, 
I don't care what he did. I don't care if he was a sodomite or she was a sodomite who had an abortion and is on contraception. I mean, if he or she is penitent for sin, they are going to get a very, very kind confessor. And then the confessor will tell them how to overcome their sins. And even if they fall back into their sins, they come back in the, into the confessional and seek forgiveness and get advice. Uh, the you know where is he coming from? When did the show me a textbook before Vatican II that said that the the confessional should be a torture chamber where you scream at people who confess their sins with contrition? It doesn't exist. His idea and the way people took it was that people who commit these horrid sins should get a free pass, that they should in some way be permitted to continue to to, to sin. And I think at this point it would be good too, and and um, uh, to keep this particular principle in mind when we discuss the rest of his interview, that this was a, uh, a common way of of uh, operating by progressives ra- back in the 1960s, immediately after Vatican II. The idea that uh, you would say that well, yes, the Church has this particular teaching against this particular sin on the books it's in the catechism and of course we have to give that due weight but in a particular case well you have to follow your own conscience the dictates of your own conscience and this is how I perceive uh, what um, Francis is is, uh, talking about when he's talking about uh, mercy it's it, 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 it was a common practice in the 1960s for priests just to do this through ambiguity to uh, allow people to uh, continue to commit sins without um, really reproving them for it or insisting that they have a firm purpose of amendment. So what Bergoglio, what Francis seems to be talking about, is that uh, purpose of amendment is not necessary. Yes. And, of course, Catholic theology tells us that, indeed, it is necessary for absolutions to be valid. But yes. then again, as, as uh, Bishop Sanborn and I were talking about uh, the subject at lunch, he brought up the fact that how often is this principle applied in the Novus Ordo, because no one goes to confession anymore. No. Which is another problem. Yes, it's virtually extinct. Well, you either have those community reconciliations or you have that reconciliation room where you sit down and you have a chat and they don't have screens. But nobody goes to those. Very few. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a tiny number in comparison to the number of Novus Ordo Catholics. Tiny. Well, if you are part of that tiny group of small-minded people... Uh, listening to today's show, uh, you might want to call in. Our telephone number is 949-272-9417. Again, that's 949-272-9417. Uh, yes, we're on, we are on the Restoration Radio Network, so consider this Restorationists Anonymous. So if you are a Restorationist and you don't want to be known publicly, you can call in, just use a, a fake name, and we won't out you, we promise. <laughs> Uh, I think you can also go through the uh, when you're done. Go through the litany of everything that he has said against the traditionalists. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're, you're right, Your Excellency. 
He's called us, well, first of all, we, we were called Pelagians, which is a heresy. That's worse than murder. It's worse than abortion. It's a heresy. We are Pelagians because we make spiritual bouquets of rosaries. I mean, you would have to be so stupid to say such a thing, and also so malicious to say such a thing about people who are saying rosaries, because they're counting rosaries. So we're Pelagians. We are restorationists, and that's a, a, like a term that is obviously disparaging. Uh, let's see. We uh, are we're triumphalists. triumphalists. Yes. yes. That is also straight from the 1960s. I chuckled when I saw that word that he used. I have not wor- heard that word since the 1960s. It's been over 40 years that I have heard that word triumphalist. And, you know, it was used all the time in the 1960s for anybody who was pre-Vatican II. You were a triumphalist. Uh, he, um, uh, on, had, on that point, Your Excellency, the um, uh, quote, as I said, he said so much, it's difficult to keep it straight. He says that uh, there is a group of Christians who, quote, in their hearts do not believe in the risen Lord and want to make theirs a more majestic resurrection than that of the real one. These are the triumphalist Christians. Uh, he called us we, legalists. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes. Uh, legalists, that means those are Pharisees. Yes. In this last interview, he referred to us as legalists, those restorationists and legalists. He compared us to people who resist the Holy Ghost. He said they resist the Holy Ghost. And he compared us to the people who stoned St. Stephen to death. Oh, even I had forgotten that one. <laughs> yeah, that was early on in those Saint Santa Marta talks that were suppressed because he was saying so many crazy things. Uh, but we were compared to the to the hard-hearted people who stoned Saint Stephen to death. I mean, you know, he, he just has us on the brain, and this Pelagian business has come up, I think, four times. Four times. Uh, we are ideologues. Uh, we have ideologies. We want a doctrinal security, as if that's an evil thing. <laughs> doctrinal that security, is, that's that, like that, financial that's security. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine somebody saying, well, they want financial security. Yeah. Well, what else would you want? <laughs> Why does the church exist except for do- doctrinal security? Uh, we are people that want to have everything nailed down, and he said that somebody who never has any doubts uh, doesn't have God with him. <laughs> no. You know, I thought the faith was the highest certitude that you could have. But you don't have God with you if you don't have doubts. That's what he said. I mean, right, doubt, is. doubt is the new ver- doubt is the new virtue. <laughs> right. uh, you're, you're excellent. Doubt you're is just, the new you're just certitude, I think. Yeah. I mean, you need to, you need to he, dump that certitude and get a new attitude. Right. He that, and that, we really wants. represent a relatively small number of people, but he has us on the brain as evil and something to be extirpated. And then he he denies the the traditional mass of that Franciscan order in, a, in an act of despotism, uh, and uh, just you know tells them all that they have to accept that horrid new mass. I mean, he he really is is a, a nasty, nasty person, and full of criticism. And this is we're just well, six months into it. What he's done yeah. in effect against the right or against people with the uh, 
traditional uh, inclinations or people who are skeptical about the the Vatican II mass. Uh, oh, we're small-minded too. That's the other thing. Uh, he should talk about small-minded. I would like somebody to take a, a measurement of the size of his brain. Frankly, there must be some MRI, and and, and you know, because he shouldn't talk about small-minded, as far as I'm concerned. Well, we will definitely get into more of his thoughts here. So if you are interested in asking His Excellency or Father any questions, as I said, the telephone number is 949-272-9417. Again, that's 949-272-9417. If you want to skip that line and just uh, get us a question directly on Twitter, you can find us at True Restoration. And we've already gotten at least 10 email questions before tonight's show, so we'll try to get to those as well. So those of you who emailed ahead of the show, don't worry, we'll try and get to those calls. Um, you know what, this, uh, Your Excellency and Father, I think the best way to proceed through this 12,000-word La Civilta Catholica uh, interview is to just cover some of the points, and we, we laid that out in our our uh, lead for the show, for those uh, who read the promotion we, we did for the show, we, we, we picked... 11 areas. I mean, 12,000. You know, you're rather like the uh, 12,000 words. You're rather like the mosquito at a nudist colony. You don't really know where to begin. <laughs> so um, I, I think we'll start with small-minded rules, uh, Father. Um, uh, the church sometimes has locked itself up in small things, in small-minded rules. The most important thing is the first proclamation. Jesus Christ has saved you, and the ministers of the church must be ministers of mercy above all. The confessor, for example, is always in danger of being either too much of a rigorist or too lax. Neither is merciful, because neither of them really takes responsibility for the person. The rigorist washes his hands so that he leaves it to the commandment. The loose minister washes his hands by simply saying, this is not a sin, or something like that. In pastoral ministry, we must accompany people, and we must heal their wounds. You know... Father, First I did a show prep for this, and I don't understand what that means. So I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who could, could use a little help understanding that. I could use a little help, too. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a farrago of double talk, um, a whole stew of double talk. But the main point is at the beginning, the, the first little glimmer of a thought that he had from the 1960s that he dredged up is that, that there are, the church is full of small-minded rules. And one has to go beyond the small-minded rules. So that's his his uh, essential idea. So he's conveying to people the idea that, well, don't sweat the rules, don't sweat the small stuff, everything is small stuff. Uh, and you just uh, concentrate on something else, the salvation, uh, uh, by our Lord. And then he gives contradictory and confusing, you can't figure out what he's talking about, about the confessor. Uh, that neither is merciful, uh, rigorous, washes his hands so that he leaves it to the commander. What does that mean? The loose minister washes his hands by simply saying this is not a sin or something like that. Uh, So uh, what what you get is this whole um, uh, stew of uh, confused ideas, but the intention that... Uh, he or his intention, what he wants to convey, is the idea that you should not worry about rules at all. Mm-hmm. So that's what he's getting. That's what he's getting at. That's the uh, truly again a man of the '60s. 
that we're all we're beyond this now, and it's a result of, of Vatican II. We've gone beyond the old legalism. So, yeah. he, and he half sets up half sets up a, a straw man target. But you can see where he's going. What do you think, Your Excellency? Yes, the uh, I think when you analyze the way he put everything, uh, the common person comes away with a conclusion. And at a legitimate conclusion too. Uh, the in in throughout the whole thing, it, you know, he, he carefully avoids saying something bluntly heretical, but he says things in such a way that you take heresy from it. Uh, for example, that we shouldn't insist so much on abortion and contraception and gay marriage, but we should be more merciful. Um, the uh, the common person takes that to mean and legitimately that we we need not be so concerned morally about these things and that those who commit these sins should be given in certain cases in certain circumstances a free pass to commit them we should not hold them too much to the fire over these things that is the legitimate conclusion from what he says because to show the mercy is to show the mercy in the in, in penance and contrition. And so the the way he puts it, it, it means that that uh, that we should uh, somehow condone their sins or permit them to to say them. He also, by the way, said something uh, erroneous, if not heretical. Jesus has saved you. Correct is to say Jesus redeemed you. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, I'm not saved yet, and you're not saved yet, and and you know that's typically Protestant that Jesus has saved you. Uh, it's correct to say that Christ has redeemed us. That is, He has given us the means in order to save our souls. But not everyone is going to be saved. So the church can't preach to everybody that Jesus has saved you. It never did. That would be contrary to the Council of Trent, that you have a certitude concerning your eternal salvation. The church doesn't preach that. I mean, that, that's, that's Protestantism. So he's asking so, us to go, uh, I suppose in the words of Nietzsche, beyond good and evil then, uh, to, this, to this new place he wants to take us. Well, I'm not a mind reader. All I'm saying, though, is that he has constructed his comments in such a way that any ordinary average person would take it that way and that's the way it was taken by average people if you look at the interviews and uh the um uh for example some sort of abortion group praised him i think what was that the, yes uh, there was NARO, the na yeah. the national um, i think association for abortion rights something yeah like killing that. babies whatever it might be yes called. i mean the, the baby killers praised him for his comments because they took it to mean that that this is a, a loosening of the of the church's doctrines, and we're, we're letting our hair down on these things, and uh, we're opening doors, and, and that that was the context and conclusion, and that's very very serious. The, that, that is an abandonment of Catholic doctrine. The response uh, in his defense is always something like, "Well, he didn't." Uh, exactly say that he didn't exactly mean that but um as as a matter of fact uh anyone who lives in the world of the modern press and lives in the world of modern culture knows precisely 
how statements like that are going to be read by the secular press and picked up and understood by uh, Catholics who read the secular press. Mm-hmm. So um, the uh, idea that somehow this was a mistake is incorrect. Also, I might add at this point that the text of the interview was uh, vetted by Francis himself. The Jesuits, uh, the Jesuit who uh, interviewed him, gave Bergoglio a text uh, for him to correct and to approve. And that it, it was the base text that was translated into all these different languages by the Jesuits in the different language groups. So one cannot say, oh, uh, well, maybe there was something wrong in the translation, that someone fiddled with the translation, Mm -hmm. or that uh, his words were not taken down correctly. We can't blame this on ICEL, is what you're saying, Father? Uh, uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I read it in the original Italian, and it was, you know, everything was there. Um, We have a we have a caller. uh, Your Excellency and Father, and um, the the question is, uh, his name is Robert. It says that Francis says the Church can't interfere in the spiritual lives of Catholics. Uh, was that was that your question, Robert? Go ahead, you're on the air. Yes, I don't have the exact quote in front of me because I'm driving, but it appears uh, what I read was that that the Church shouldn't interfere in the spiritual lives of its children and. I wanted to know, am I right in telling my friends that uh, that's basically what what the church has done for 2,000 years? Indeed, it's what any religion does. But, of course, if you're a modernist, you don't like religion, period. And so this would would sort of defeat the whole role of religion and spirituality. I mean, don't we tell people, don't we try to prompt souls to have a better relationship with God and to improve their spiritual life, then we interfere in that sense, or do I have that wrong? Well, that's precisely the the church goes very deeply into the human soul and says that you must conform your conscience to the teaching of the Catholic Church, you must surrender the assent of your intellect to the teaching of the Catholic Church. You can't get any more intrinsic into into the soul than that. Uh, and if you fail to adhere to the teachings of the Catholic Church, if you fail to obey the commandments of God and of the Church, you will go to hell. There is nothing more personal and intimate than that. Um, and uh, what you might be referring to is his book, that interview that he gave when he was a cardinal, where when asked about uh, homosexual acts, he said, well, we can't get into the personal lives of people. We we can't, uh, you know, what they do in private is really none of our business. That's in his book. Uh, and so it, it might, you know, I'm, or else he repeated something similar in another place. But he has this idea that, and it's pure relativism, it's, it's supremacy of conscience, which goes back to Vatican II, that, if, and that's what he said about the atheists, that as long as you're following your conscience, that this justifies what you do, uh, that the, God puts a blessing on what you do because you're, you're following your conscience, that, that conscience is a type of producer of morality. And uh, this is completely false. It, it's, it's Protestant uh, uh, in, in, in origin, 
and uh, modernist. Uh, and would you, uh, yes, would you say that the that the Pope Pope Francis here is is tending towards Gnosticism, or does that go too far? I don't think so. I think he's a purebred modernist. When I read him, uh, it's like I'm reading the encyclical Pascendi. <laughs> the, uh, he's a 1960s liberal. He, he's uh, he, he formed all of his mind in the 1960s, and he has not changed since. And he he has memorized certain things from the 60s, and he's saying these things now that have not been heard for decades. And the world has not changed for him since the 1960s. He still thinks that he's fighting against those traditionalists back in the 60s that are dragging their feet on the changes. I mean, he has no idea that the churches are empty and that people are not going to confession, and and that you know the ship is sinking. Uh, I mean, he said the other day, uh, oh, you know, the church has never been in such good shape as it is now. Uh, and uh, uh, she is not collapsing. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. I mean, what kind of a, a fantasy world is he living in? So I don't think he's a Gnostic. Gnostic means that you have some special knowledge that other people don't have. And no, I, I, don't, I wouldn't accuse him of that. Uh, but I would say that he is a purebred modernist. Uh, possibly the the most purebred that we've had so far. Thank you, Bishop and Father. Thank you. Robert, thanks for your call. Um, I'll, I'll layer in another, because uh, this goes back to the, the original point you were just making a while ago, Father. Um, this comes from a listener on the East Coast, and the question reads, if I am reading you right, Folks like Father Chicada seem to be saying that Francis is intentionally talking in an ambiguous way so as to allow the progressives to run with their narrative, but also to allow for plausible deniability by the neocons. But what if Francis is simply the Joe Biden of the Vatican, someone who means well but has diarrhea of the mouth? I guess the problem I have with the Chicada thesis is that it would mean that Francis is a brilliant tactician with a Hemingway-esque command of prose and an insistence on precision, but I just don't see him as that bright of a guy. As a Novus Ordo Catholic, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but there it is. Is he much more brilliant than he's letting on? <laughs> no, I don't I don't think so. I don't think there's much rattling around in his head. But uh, what what he parrots uh are the the, the uh sort of the bromides of the sixties the uh, ideas that uh, you heard constantly from liberals in the 1960s. And somehow he picked these up uh, by dint of repetition, I guess, and he figured that, well, he's elected, he's the Pope now, and it's time to start uh, handing out these particular goodies. But that's uh, uh, um, he is only clever in the sense that a parrot is clever, um, that he is, he is uh, repeating things simply that uh, that he's heard. He, I'm sure, has the general knowledge that, uh, you know, you can't deny that Christ is the Son of God. I, I, I'm sure that, um, you know, for, for certain teachings of the, the Catholic faith, that, you know, he understands that he cannot um, publicly deny those. But it is his whole set of ideas that he's picked up uh, that was used with great success by the clergy of his generation in the 60s and 70s. 
And uh, however one may read it, it um, in terms of you know his his level of knowledge, it will still have the same effect. He's still undermining undermining Catholic faith and morality. So I think that's my answer. I think uh, if I could add something to that, I think it's fair to say that he's a clever person. I don't think he could have risen to the the point that uh, of being Archbishop of Buenos Aires or or getting to be elected the Pope uh, the uh, without cleverness. And I think that the way he says things is clever because he knows how they will be taken, and he uh, does a, a good job of letting the heresy be concluded without his having said it. That's clever, but I, I think the man really is a very limited intelligence. And, and you know, from the point of view of speculative knowledge, uh, what is typical of people who are of limited intelligence is they memorize certain things and they repeat them all the time. They, they have like a set of sort of uh, a question and answer or a set of axioms that they repeat all the time, uh, but in a disjointed way. And, and you see a lot of disjointed... Um, statements that he makes where the the first part of the sentence does not lead into the second or or it it doesn't make any sense when you analyze it because he's just repeating things. He doesn't see with his mind the connection of things. He's just repeating things. So uh, I'd I'd call them clever but not intelligent. And I think that's a distinction. Mm -hmm. That indeed is. So I think I would just bookend um, your your answer, Your Excellency, and your answer, Father, by saying that you you disagree with the original premise that you know that Francis is is going about these things in a very uh, tactician. You know, uh, he has a very tactical mindset here. That he's he's just repeating what he grew up with in the '60s. He's a child of the '60s. He likes the same ugly vestments, the same bad music, uh, the same uh, rotten theological ideas, and he's just repeating those things. Um, and he, in that re- repetition, he's simply uh, repeating what we got in the 60s, which was Vatican II and a bunch of ambiguity. Right. Yes. On, on the other hand, though, I think he has an agenda, and I think he's following the agenda. Uh, he has uh, a, a lot of things that he wants to accomplish and a lot of reforms that he wants to do, and, and he knows how to do those things. So, you know, in that sense, I just wouldn't call him a brilliant tactician. I think he has an agenda. But you can tell that he's uh, not in control of his tongue, uh, that he, he's making a lot of uh, errors. He's, I'm sure, making a lot of enemies in the uh, traditional side of, of the Novus Ordo. Uh, and you know, he's capable of causing a lot of damage uh, and a lot of trouble. Uh, and I'm sure that there's, there's a lot of people in the Novus Ordo who are concerned about him for that very reason. For those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Clerical Conversations on the Crisis on the Restoration Radio Network. Um, I'm with His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Father Anthony Chicada. I'm Stephen Heiner. You may wonder, we've had so many shows lately. Clerical Conversations on the Crisis is a monthly show, uh, and we normally will try to take um, issues that are current um, and uh, deal with them. And we'll also usually try to deal with some old chestnuts from Vatican II, but um, I was telling Father Chicada that our agenda, our show plans keep getting hijacked because Francis keeps coming out with new stuff. So we, we never actually get to do the show that we, we had wanted to. We, we've always got to kind of adapt to, to whatever's happening. So 
Uh, this is a monthly show, uh, but this month we're dedicating it to focusing on the La Civilta Cattolica interview. And we'll, we'll move on to the next thing, um, uh, Your Excellency and Father, which is Pilgrim People Evolutionist Theology. Um, for those of you who are uh, who want to call today, the telephone number is 949-272-9417. Again, that's 949-272-9417. The, the text reads, The structural and organizational reforms are secondary. That is, they come afterward. The first reform must be the attitude. The ministers of the gospel must be people who can warm the hearts of the people who walk through the dark night with them, who know how to dialogue and to descend themselves into their people's night, into the darkness but without getting lost. The people of God want pastors, not clergy acting like bureaucrats or government officials. The bishops particularly must be able to support the movements of God among their people with patience so that no one is left behind. But they must also be able to accompany the flock that has a flair for finding new paths. Now, Your Excellency, I don't know that anyone's accused you of warming the hearts of your people, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this question on to Father Chicada first. <laughs> well, well, what's happening, again, is, is 60s emotionalism, warming people's heart and walk, walking through dark nights. Uh, but What the, does that mean? Uh, yeah, who knows what it means? Uh, but it's it's the again it's kind of the idea that um, uh, that it conveys that you have to somehow listen to the people of God, which is a very Vatican II concept, and the people of God are pilgrim people. That's how it was always described. That and pilgrims, of course, are on a journey. But you know, it, it seems in that theology they never really get to their goal, and it's never really. <laughs> Uh, uh, really clear. Uh, they need a GPS. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. The, um, uh, they, they wander uh, an awful lot, especially in their thoughts. But the, the idea that the um, bishops must be able to accompany the flock that has a flair for finding new paths, so this is the idea uh, very much present still in the modernist wing of theology that, well, the people of the church and uh, that um, uh, we, uh, to be a leader in uh, the church in any sense, you have to follow the sense of the faithful, because uh, they are going to be going into the, in the correct direction. So you have dialogue with them, which means that uh, dialogue, you put positions, two different positions on the same level, uh, someone who knows theology with someone who doesn't know theology, and uh, but this is the idea, the leveling, the leveling idea, and the, the idea that the, the the people are the church. It's a typically modernist idea that uh, the uh, God reveals Himself directly to people, and that the hierarchy, and this is all in Pascendi, condemned by Saint Pius X, and that the hierarchy is there essentially to take a reading of what's going on in the people and to be sensitive to their movements, and then to make dogmas, which are only temporary things anyway, make dogmas out of what the experience of the people is. And that, that is in, that's essentially what he's saying, that the, the hierarchy has to 
follow the people and be open to the new paths that they are they're finding along the way and uh, it's pure modernism is all condemned you know it's it's a hundred years old it's like the model t it's older than the model t yeah. uh well well i'll i'll consider that pretty well addressed i want to uh take another call here your excellency and father and uh the caller is alan and his question is how can Francis say that Thomistic philosophy is spiritually bankrupt? And, uh, Alan, uh, you can pose the question or clarify that with either of the clergy that you'd like. Yeah, I mean, this is for both of you, whoever wants to answer it, but that's the part that struck me. <laughs> I have never seen a pope or a pope claimant um, attack Thomism to this extent. I mean, I can find Where pages say? of St. Thomas's philosophy all the way up to John Paul II, and maybe a little bit with Benedict XVI, but but now it seems like the tide has shifted over to actually explicitly attacking Thomas. Um, I'm not familiar Thomas with this attack. Philosophy. Where did he say it? Um, he said, well, I can read you the passage. He said, humans are in search of themselves. It's, I think it's very much toward the end. Uh-huh. Um, humans are in search of themselves, and of course, in this search, they can also make them mistakes. The church has experienced times of brilliance, like that of, of Thomas Aquinas, but the church has lived also times of decline in its ability to think. For example, we must not confuse the genius of Thomas Aquinas with the age of decadent Thomas commentaries. Unfortunately, <laughs> I studied philosophy from textbooks that came from decadent or largely bankrupt Thomism. In thinking of the human being, therefore, the church could strive for genius and not for decadence. <laughs> So I, I'm not really sure what what he means by that, but it, it, but to me it is the first example I've ever seen of a you know, claimant actually. I missed that one. I'm that glad extent. you pointed that out. <laughs> yeah, no, well, well, let's go back to Leo the Thirteenth, uh, who in in, uh, in an encyclical in 1878, I believe, or thereabouts, uh, reestablished Thomism in the schools. And let's go back to Pius XI and Pius X, who also praised Thomism. And uh, Pius XI called uh, the angelic doctor the Dr. Communis, because he wasn't just a Dominican doctor, he was for the whole church. And uh, the, the, if these popes, these great popes, these and fine intellects, you know, people who really had brains, uh, they, uh, they promoted that, and in response to that, the the Dominican order and many Jesuits as well uh, got to work and uh, revived Thomism, and the the Thomism that they revived is entirely orthodox in comparison to Saint Thomas. I mean, this tells me that he has never really read Saint Thomas, because there is no dichotomy between what those Thomists are saying and Saint Thomas. I mean, if you read both of them side by side, the only thing that the Thomists are doing is concluding things from St. Thomas because St. Thomas did not address them. New problems in theology, for example. Concluding things and making reference, direct reference to St. Thomas. I mean, what did he study? Again, I think that this man is really, really limited intellectually. But also we have to go back to Pashendi. St. Pius X said that one of the first signs of a modernist is his hatred for scholastic philosophy and theology. 
there you go. He is a modernist, and all the modernists hated Thomism. Ratzinger condemned. He didn't condemn it, but you know, he said, "I am not a Thomist," uh, because they, Thomism is an impossible vehicle for them. It's like a car that won't start for them because they cannot express all of their false ideas in the very strict language of, of Thomism. And here is this, this, I'm sorry to say, but this pea brain criticizing some of the greatest minds of the 20th century, people that would blow him away from the intellectual point of view, criticizing them as having corrupted Thomism. I mean, he wouldn't know a Thomist, you know, if one bit him, uh, the the uh, the you know he, he he's just completely it's just incredible that anyone could say such a foolish thing. Uh, uh, it tells me that he never studied it, or if he did, he didn't understand it. Either Saint Thomas or the Thomists. And by the way, the Jesuits, uh, if he studied Jesuit philosophy, they were they were faithful to Suarez in many cases. And you know, so if he was in one of those Jesuit schools, uh, but in any case, and apart from that, the the uh, it, it shows me that he didn't really learn anything in school, uh, and uh, that he didn't understand it. Okay, I guess as a follow-up question, am I still on? Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, we can Alan, hear you. Yes, as, you, as you, a you are allowed question, one. You are, you, I mean, I think this is a point that. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess it's related to Mente Vacantism that uh, Father Chicada attacks a lot because, it, I mean, this has been the theme that he hasn't gotten a proper formation. Is he exempt from in all culpability for all these things he's been saying? Father Chicada, are you going to answer that? Uh, <laughs> well, his 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 mind is pretty vacant. Uh, <laughs> that's... Bishop Bishop Williamson's theory is that, uh, and that's what you're alluding to, uh, the former Pius X Society bishop, that none of these these popes are really responsible because they... uh, you, because they've had uh, a bad formation, but uh, uh, they have no, no notion of truth. Yeah, they they, yeah. they have uh, no notion of truth. So the uh, no the the idea that somehow he is exempt is um, uh, is re- ridiculous. You present yourself as a uh, Catholic, you are um, a um, uh, supposedly a cleric, and uh, you should know the Catholic faith and what the Catholic faith teaches. So you are responsible. Yes, it is impossible not to have a notion of truth. And it is impossible to escape what we call the first principles of reason, whereby you know contradiction and you know, that one thing contradicts another. Uh, it's impossible to escape those things. So mente vacantism is intrinsically impossible. Alan, All does right, that answer well, your thank question? You, Father and His Excellency. Thank you. All right, thanks for your call. Um, for those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Clerical Conversations on the Crisis on the Restoration Radio Network. Um, our guests are His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. But he is enjoying the warmth of Florida this week, um, teaching classes at the seminary. 
Um, Enjoying is with like a question mark. It's the worst <laughs> time of the year. <laughs> maybe maybe not the best time, but but Father will enjoy it a lot more in December. Uh, for for oh, those who, who'd like to ask ask questions, uh, the telephone number is nine four nine two seven two nine four one seven. Again, that's nine four nine two seven two nine four one seven. Restorationists, Pelagians, uh, any of you <laughs> ultramontanist people, you're welcome to call in. Um, you know, Your Excellency, you made a you made a comment that uh, you know uh, he wouldn't know Francis wouldn't know Thomism if it bit him. You know, uh, Novus Ordo Watch uh, tweeted, uh, not you know, don't forget that uh, he likes the tango. So I mean, maybe if it tried to tango with him, he wouldn't even know. Um, so don't forget that. Uh, if you know, when we look at when we look at that, Your Excellency. Um, Again, that language of modernism. I think those those who've studied the Vatican documents, when they when they see what he's trying to do, it says uh, we must not confuse the genius of Thomas Aquinas with the age of decadent Thomas commentary. So he's not going to come on directly to attack Saint Thomas. So when he comes around, and he says something decadent Thomas uh, commentaries. Unfortunately, I study philosophy from textbooks that came from decadent or largely bankrupt Thomism. And as you said, he wouldn't know Thomism if it did a tango with him. <laughs> Right, so he's trying to attack Saint Thomas, attack Garrigou Lagrange, other yes. people who who are yes. real heroes Cardinal who, who actually know what they're talking about. Well, people who and, far uh, exceed him in in knowledge and in brain power. I mean, like light years and and not even comparable. And he is criticizing them for being corrupt. I mean, he just doesn't know what he is talking about. You know, he, he is just showing ignorance, ignorance, ignorance. He has no idea what he's talking about. But I think, once again, uh, it's an example of uh, him, um, uh, some idea that's rattling around in his head from the 60s mm-hmm. yes. and, and sort of echoing around. And so he heard it that, well, uh, uh, you know, Thomas' commentaries are corrupt. They misrepresented St. Thomas. So he I remember got that, that idea. Yeah. So he got he remembered that idea. He heard it, you know, somewhere in 1967 or something. And then uh, so he gets a white cassock on, and he decides to, um, as a general part of his uh, uh, instinct to attack uh, traditional Catholic doctrine, he throws this thing out. I mean, you know, at this point, I think if I had a parrot, I would name it Bergoglio, because he just he re- repeats all of this stuff. And uh, we've, we've heard it all before, and it's the same stupid ideas. Yes. Uh, see, Father Chicada and I were are contemporaries. We were in all of that in the 60s. We've heard all of this nonsense. He you remember just, being told that Thomism was, was a bad idea. Oh, yes. Oh, the oh. evil corruptions of, of Gary Goo and all of these other people. I mean, corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. And how they, they distorted St. Thomas and... And, you know, when you're that age, when you're 17, 18, 19, you know, you're not paging through the Summa yet, and, and you're not comparing what they're saying to the Summa. And so you tend to believe them, you know. you Well, I guess, you know, they did. And, and, and uh, in fact, it was the modernists who distorted St. Thomas, putting words in his mouth and, and trying to make him compatible with Immanuel Kant. That's what they did. You, you know, Your Excellency, as you're as you're talking, I'm reminded that uh, you know they like the modernists like to copy and paste 
uh, corrupt and decadent onto anything they don't like. Because I'm remembering this language from Sacrosanctum Concilium and some of the other modernists that Father Chicada gets into in his book, Work of Human Hands, uh, shameless plug, uh, that he um, gets into that they'll call the liturgy uh, decadent, corrupted, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's accrued stuff over time. And if they don't like something, they're just going to say it's dec- decadent and corrupted, and that way people get scared of it, and uh, mm-hmm. then they, they flee into the arms of the modernists. Well, the idea, though, with the modernists is that he's so proud, uh, he always has the... Um, has the idea that, well, he has come up with the correct theory of uh, what X, Y, or Z should be. That was certainly how they operated in the liturgy, and that's uh, certainly how they operated in uh, uh, theology in many, many other areas in the church, that they uh, formulated some sort of theory and then uh, read it back to change Mm -hmm. things in the here and now. Like reverse engineering or something. Yes, but St. Right. Pius X said that, that concerning, in Pashendi again, that in their examination of the script, scriptures, he said, you would think that no one ever opened the scriptures before they did. That they, they come into sacred scripture as if, you know, the experts and everything before them it either doesn't exist or is corrupt. And that no one understood the scriptures before them. And that they, they did the same thing. The, the modernist is so proud prideful, that he has this idea that he has the key to transforming the church in all aspects in order to make it acceptable to a world, to bring it out from the Middle Ages and the Baroque era, and make it acceptable to this modern world, which will embrace it, because it has all of the qualities of the modern world. They see themselves as saviors of the church, because the church would die as he says, it would collapse like a house of cards if it doesn't adapt itself to the modern world. And this was the idea of the 60s, and again he's repeating that as if this is a real viable thing. He doesn't realize that after 50 years of Vatican II, it's like Hiroshima, that it's all leveled, there's nothing left. He doesn't realize that. And he's applying these same stupid things that they were saying in the 1960s as if people are going to come flocking uh, to to this n- new religion uh, and and be on their knees and give money in the collection basket. They're not. They're going to keep popping their pills and not go to church. Uh, and that's what's going to happen. And, and uh, the, the, the people that love him are the people that already left the faith and have, have lost the faith. Not the people that have managed through you know fifty years of horror and terror to hold on to the faith, but the ones that have left it, they are the ones that are applauding him and think he's wonderful. Um, I have a uh, well. There's there's definitely more directions that we could go on there, but I want to continue on with our document. We've got so many things to cover still, Your Excellency and Father. And we'll move on to the next point. It's called Personalist Moral Theology. And the text reads, We must always consider the person. Here we enter into the mystery of the human being. In life, God accompanies persons, and we must accompany them, starting from their situation. It is necessary to accompany them with mercy. When that happens, the Holy Spirit inspires the priest to say the right thing. This is also the great benefit of confession as a sacrament, evaluating case by case 
and discerning what it is, what is the best thing to do for a person who seeks God and grace. Well, there we are in the, the personalist moral theology again. And uh, what you see there is the uh, hint that um, of uh, the application of sort of situationist ethic or situational morality uh, in the confessional in individual cases. And this was, again, this was a common, uh, common currency for confessors in the 60s when people still uh, did go to confession. It's it's the uh, you have to consider you don't consider the person first you consider the divine law first and what's right and 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 uh, what wrong what's wrong and you consider in the case of the individual person how uh, you get the penitent to conform his uh, life and his attitude to the uh, to the moral law so you don't start by uh, considering the person. Uh, you start with considering what God wants, and you go from there. So it's, it's yeah, the, but the, the person the really has nothing to do with it. I mean, from the point of view of the moral law, applying the moral law, the person has nothing whatsoever to do with it. That that is simply a way of saying that uh, you know, if you feel sorry for this person, you can tell them that they can continue with the birth control. I heard Bishop Fulton Sheen say that on television in 1968. The case was given to him in an interview of a woman that came with a real hard birth control case, you know, that I might die with my next child or I might, you know, a lot of lot of hard hard problems. And then the question was to Fulton Sheen, you know, what would you say to this person? And he said, and I heard him say it, and I was shocked. He said, I would tell her to continue with the birth control. Oh, my. I heard him say it. I was yeah. shocked. And but that's 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 what personalism is that well you've you've got a you know a real hard luck case here, and because you're a nice person, uh, you're a good person, you want to do the right thing. Uh, you you can you're okay with this birth control. That's personalism. You see, it's the idea that uh, uh, you're a good person apart from morality, that you have certain fundamental qualities that make you a good person. And so morality really doesn't enter into your goodness as a person. That's what that means. And it's just another backdoor way of saying that morality must be compromised for the sake of circumstances or people or uh, sentimentality or, or anything else. The beauty of the Catholic Church is that it held everyone to the same standard, whether you were the Pope, whether you were a bishop, whether a priest or a simple layperson, you were held to the same moral standard, the same ruler was applied to you. And everyone had to go to confession from the Pope on down and, uh, uh, and have the moral law applied to him. That was the beauty and glory of the Catholic Church. And this just makes mush out of all of that and, and will destroy Catholicism in those who are infected by it. You know, Your Excellency, I don't think we can hammer home enough um, the evil of contraception. I think that you brought this up, um, you and Father brought it up very well in the show that we did on marriage equality some time ago, that, uh, you know, people are shocked that, you know, this is becoming such an agenda. And you pointed out it's all tied together with contraception. It's all part of this idea of 
of your own will governing sexual morality. And I think we see a tie back here to this. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it is a supremacy of conscience. And what he said about the atheists, that they are in good conscience and that uh, therefore you know, they are justified essentially that they are okay before God because they uh, ha- are following their conscience. You have supremacy of conscience. Uh, conscience in the Catholic sense is merely a judgment of your intellect applying the law, which is received from the teaching of the Church, applying the law to an act that you are about to perform. So the whole goodness or rectitude of the conscience comes from it, the law that it is applying. Uh, and what w- the modernist idea of conscience is that it is a type of censor uh, or producer of the law, that you, you see it a certain way, and, and uh, I think that this is right for me. Uh, and therefore, uh, when I make this judgment that this is right for me, all, including God, must respect it because conscience is supreme. That is the modernist notion of conscience. So when both priest and penitent, the few that there are of both, uh, when they uh, come together and, and have a confession, you know, in those rare occasions, uh, they're both infected with that idea. And so if you're following your conscience and, and this is the right thing for you and you think, uh, then uh, go in peace. And uh, that that is, that is anti-Catholic. It is The whole purpose of the Catholic Church is to uh, apply and to, to maintain revelation, uh, what has been given to us as, uh, as the Word of God. And in that Word of God is contained the moral law, and it must apply it and preach it and, and, and apply it in the confessional, uh, always, uh, as I said, with mercy in the sense that the, the priest should always be approachable, but never compromising uh, the law. Or, or, or any of the requirements of being good, never compromising the idea that you must be penitent and avoid the occasions of sin and have purpose of amendment. The, these are the things that he is uh, eating away at, uh, and he's doing it in a clever way because he is letting people draw the conclusion by not actu- but at the same time not actually saying it. Uh, and so it, and that, that has been the effect of all of what he's saying. I think, Your Excellency, that the um, uh, actually in the, in the quotes that we've put together, the next one uh, were, which we have headed as his implied approval of divorce and remarriage is, uh, again, an application of uh, what, what you're talking about. Uh, Stephen, uh, maybe you could read that quote for them. Sure, absolutely, Father. I also consider the situation... uh, I have to read this in a very dramatic voice, Father. I also consider the situation of a woman with a failed marriage in her past and who also had an abortion. Then this woman remarries, and she is now happy and has five children. That abortion in her past weighs heavily on her conscience, and she sincerely regrets it. She would like to move forward in her Christian life. What is the confessor to do? Tell her, well, and give up the phony hubby. That's, that's yes. what the confessor is supposed to do. And uh, move out. And, uh, I mean, you, that they can't be together, obviously. But do you see how he does that? And he, he asks the question, and he doesn't answer the question. 
but he doesn't uh, give an answer to what is the confessor to do. But before that, he's told you what the confessor is to do because it's a it's the personalist morality again. She, uh, you know, she's had abortion, all sorts of trouble. Now things are going well. She's happy. Um, she feels a little guilty about the past. She wants to move forward. So the hint is that, well, the confessor is supposed to uh, say, well, honey, that's okay. You can continue to live with the guy. And, you know, he can, um, uh, you know, he can uh, do away with, uh, ignore his, his starter wife. And uh, you can ignore your starter husband and everything will be fine. That's the uh, answer that he implies, just from the yes. way that the, the, the setup of it. And that's the legitimate conclusion of an average person. There is no other way to take that, because the obvious answer to that from the Catholic point of view is that the priests say, it is not right for you to be with the man that you're living with, just as our Lord said to the Samaritan woman. And she, and she said, oh, yes, you're right. The person I'm with is not my husband, and she had five husbands or something. The... the uh, you know that, and or in, go and sin no more. What he said to the woman caught in adultery—that's what the Catholic Church has to say to somebody like that. And sure, it's a difficult thing. Sure, there's many ties of of friendship. It often happens that the second and false marriage is better than the first one, from the point of view of they're getting along and and you know, various other human things. That that they they uh, it's more quote unquote successful even though it's false and phony, it's uh, the relationship so to speak is more successful. Uh, uh, yes, uh, it's uh, it is a, a cross to bear. It, it's a difficult thing, but nonetheless the the priest has to uh, apply that law. Now he doesn't have to apply it by yelling at her. Or, or doing anything harsh or saying anything harsh to her. He just has to say, you must understand that you're not married to this person. And if you're not married to this person, you must split up. You know, you know that's... Uh, that's uh, but the, what, the way he puts that is a, the direct conclusion from the way he puts that is that, well, she should, she should get some consideration and be permitted to live with the, the man that she's living with. And don't think, if you're listening to this, that we're taking it out of context. So he, uh, the, the Francis said this and then skips to another subject immediately. Mm-hmm. So you're, he does not answer the question and uh, leaves you to uh, draw the correct personalist conclusion. And then he pops on to something else. He goes on to uh, 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 talk about uh, abortion and gay marriage and contraceptives. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, and then your excellency poo-poo father, those ideas. Yeah. If I may, I'd like to have a, a another caller come on. Um, the caller's name is Dave, and I think he has a question about uh, communicatio and sacris. Dave, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes. Um, hello, uh, your excellency and father, mm-hmm. and Mr. Heiner, and thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, you know, it's like I came to this. You know, all these issues when they changed the. Uh, the words of the Novus Ordo Liturgy, and it caused me to research and look into my faith a little more deeply, mm-hmm. and it seemed like a rabbit hole, okay? And, you know, to get to get to the uh, my specific point, you know, that, that was a, 
when I came to your site and Novus Ordo Watch and everything else, it was really scary for me. But you know, I continue, and I've been praying the Rosary every day. So, you know, it's like I've been searching for my faith. But what what bothers me about this whole discussion about Bergoglio is that he doesn't seem to have the faith. And in particular, when he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires, he participated in communio and sacris with non-Catholics. Now, I researched that, and, you know, it's like to my limited extent. I concluded that was an act of apostasy. And it's like if, if, if we truly had church discipline, he would have been removed from office from that. And at the very least, he's under uh, excommunication, ipso facto excommunication for doing that. And so I don't know why, you know, it's like, quite frankly, we're taking him even seriously in all his discussions. He just seems like he's scandalizing the faithful. And, you know, I don't don't give him the benefit of the doubt, because if he truly had our Lord in the forefront of his mind, he never would have participated in these non-Catholic worship services, because he's... He's even misleading the people that he was participating in those worship services with. Our Lord said to the Jews himself that if you can, if you deny me and don't practice the new religion that I'm establishing, you will die in your sins. I take that literally. That he's instituting new. He, our Lord, instituted new sacraments that are the exclusive means of salvation. I, I see. That's, you know. I don't understand why we're taking this person. This person who's the current pope, his actions belied that belief. So it, I take it that he doesn't have the faith. And I'll, I'll wait for your comments. Yeah. Well, first, uh, there's uh, part- participation in non-Catholic rites canonically, and Father uh, can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, makes you suspect of heresy. Yes. And. Uh, then you are given a monitum, a warning, uh, and if you continue to participate in non-Catholic rites, then all of the um, the censures and, and various effects of heresy uh, fall upon you. Uh, so that's the canonical point, and Father can clear that up if I've said anything. No, no, that's, that's exactly it, yes. But there is the moral idea of communication sacris, and that is you are uh, acting like a heretic, and that, you know, is a whole other consideration because you can display heresy not only by word but also by deed. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said that praying in front of the uh, tomb of Mohammed would be an act of apostasy, for example. So that that's apart from and outside of the law. There is a, a moral question. So I would perfectly agree with you, yes, that he has acted like a heretic and he has shown uh, a, uh, uh, that he is a heretic, not only by his words, and his words, uh, there's, there's plenty of that, but also by his deeds. The very notion of ecumenism is heretical. It was condemned by, by Pope Pius XI, and it's contrary to the first commandment of God. Any kind of confusion of religions is contrary to the first commandment of God. So, uh, I mean, he is a, a supreme ecumenist, and, and, uh, but he's done other. He just recently uh, pronounced the heresy that atheists can go to can be justified without supernatural faith. 
Well, that's a heresy. It's against the Council of Trent. And and uh, so, you know, he, and I agree with you, he should not be taken seriously. Certainly I'm not taking him seriously. But I would say to people who are still regarding that man as a Roman Catholic Pope that, you know, there is, it is living in a fantasy, it is to live in a fantasy world to regard that man as a Roman Catholic. He has nothing to do with Catholicism. And he is bit by bit tearing down whatever is left from Vatican II. He he is, is setting fire to the whole thing. And and it is time to take off the mask of that man as as a Catholic Pope and expose him for what he is. Uh, to that I would add, Your Excellency, that and, and it also in response to the question, that what he did in uh, Argentina is something that's perfectly in line with ecumenism and with the, the, the dictates of, I think it's called the ecumenical uh, directory. So uh, he would not regard himself uh, in his conscience, which of course would have to be supreme, as, uh, as violating any church law, because all of that he would maintain uh, was changed by Vatican II. So it, it, it takes us back to the source of the problem. You have uh, all of these awful uh, actions which, uh, in effect, uh, connote heresy through uh, your deeds. Well, it all goes back to the Second Vatican Council. So that's, that's the, the, the source of the problem again. Yes, I, he, uh, he was not acting thing? in any way inconsistent with the Council. Can I have one thing? Yeah. It's like I, I'm not I'm not as versed in the documents as you are, but I thought the Vatican II documents drew a distinction between communio and sacris and ecumenical events, no. and that communio and sacris was still uh, not permitted. I don't recall reading that. They were the ones. The Vatican II said you could uh, share, share communion with the Orthodox. That the Orthodox. Uh, which is, you know, schismatics, uh, that they, they opened that up. Uh, and uh, they, um, you know... Well, in any uh, case, uh, it, the, problem I have, the problem I have with that is, as a, a faithful, a member of the faithful, I'm confused by his actions. Okay, and I don't know, you know, it's like, it, 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 is the teaching still in place at the church that, as our Lord said, that, you know, if we don't believe in him, we will die in our sins? Is that still in place? Believe in home. Uh, actions, you know, his actions are confusing me because he's participating in non-Catholic worship services that they deny that our Christ is our you know sole means of salvation. Believe in Christ and practicing yeah. his sacraments. So, sure. Yeah. You know, see, that's why against and, the first, and, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. I mean, this is basic. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. But what also scandalizes me is that I called up my archdiocese, right, and I couldn't get past the call screener to ask this question. And it seems to me that this is a fundamental question that all Catholics should have. Now, what you have he or here she, is the he openness. Or she was probably a Buddhist. <laughs> you have the openness of the new church, the people of God, willing to listen to the people. <laughs> right. You were having a religious experience that the bishop should have taken note of. 
<laughs> but I think you had the wrong one because you are definitely a, a small-minded. I think one, you're one of those people that you know helped to to uh, stone Saint Stephen. And when, you know, I'm I'm being facetious. You 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 are thinking in a Catholic way, and therefore you're an enemy of the people. Well, uh, I didn't call up my archdiocese. I thought that I'd be committing a sin of omission by not expressing <laughs> outrage. <laughs> no, excuse me. It's just, true? They they are so far out of Catholicism. I mean, they are they are in a different universe from Catholicism. And your call to them must have been like something from the Middle Ages. You know, that's the way they would regard it. Well, uh, they they, they don't know you're, what you're talking you're, you're about. Making, you're supporting them. It seems to me. It's like that's how we all should think. It's like well, I, I, I thought I was. You know, when I look at it, I thought I was. You know. Expressing a, a kind of like childlike obedience, that these things are how things are set forth. This is our faith. This is how it's established. Okay, these are the rules. Are there well, new rules? The problem is that they do not have the faith. The, the That's big, what I'm saying. It's like why they, do we they are a different religion. Be like calling up the Mormons or calling up the the Southern Baptists and talking about purgatory or something. You know what? What are you coming from? Why? Why are we talking about this? We don't have these dogmas. The, the it, problem I have is what essentially is why aren't high-level prelates confronting him and and asking him? Because to, they have the same worldview. The high-level prelates are the ones who uh, elected him and who all accept Vatican II uh, themselves, and mm-hmm. that's. Uh, they wanted a man like this, uh, like Bergoglio this time around, and uh, they got one. And he's being acclaimed by uh, different prelates for the wonderful job he's doing, uh, making the church visible and changing the conversation. So he's exactly the kind of uh, guy that the higher level uh, prelates want. There may be a few who are uh, unnerved uh, about his remarks about uh, can I, can divorce. Can I add just one more thing? No, Dave, I'm, I'm sorry. I've got, to, I've got to break in. We've had a long uh, call. There's, there's other callers in line. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Uh, okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Th- thanks for your call. Um, and I, I suppose I would just kind of bookend that, Dave, by saying that uh, we're not focusing and trying to give him legitimacy. I think we're trying to shine a spotlight on what is being said so that those who are in the Novus Ordo Church um, may have a, like you did when you started going down that promultus rabbit hole, that they may be able to look at this. Um, our next caller is uh, Lee, and his question is what we can do, what can we do as trads to, what, I guess basically in this landscape, what can we do uh, to affect a restoration? Is that what you were, your question was, Lee? Yeah. Um, it's somewhat like that. I was actually just curious to know um, for example, there's a lot of trads out there, and, and they all have a difference of opinion on lots of things, and some of them are just even heretics. You know, you know that. And then, of course, there's others that are confused. My question was, what would be the best means, other than the radio that, we, that we're on right now, and you know, prayer and that kind of thing, how would we be a good uh, way, of, what would be a good way of... Uh, Converting some of them over to the right way of thinking, I guess. I would say, first of all, think right yourself. 
Uh, you know, there's well, uh, you know, I, I don't know where you're coming from, but you know, there's a lot of people who see the Novus Ordo as Catholicism. Uh, I can think of the SSPX, for example, who, uh, although they they say the traditional Mass and and have traditional catechism and various other things, that they still see that as Catholicism, and they want to hook up with it and be a a side chapel of tradition in this vast modernist cathedral. And oh, see, I see that that is that's just that's why I say think right yourself. That's the first thing, and completely cut off from the Novus Ordo, and that means oh, yeah. do not regard Bergoglio as the Roman Pontiff. For as long as you hand him the papacy. You are handing him Catholicism. And you are saying implicitly that you are wrong to be disassociated from him. If you hand him the papacy, you're handing him everything. And so the first thing that the Catholics should do is say, he is not the Roman pontiff. Right, I, so I that, agree. I'm, I'm a state of Ricardo's myself. But I would say that for others. You know, if others might be listening and saying, yes, what can we do? And that would be my first advice is that if you're not right and straight, then then no one else, you can't do anything for anybody else. Uh, and uh, then I would also say that you should inform yourself as much as possible and read and read and read. The average layperson today must be far better informed than he was ever before in the Catholic Church. And uh, so, and then uh, the next thing is also to to make your spiritual life in order to edify others by your practice of the faith, that will draw them, that will make them think. Uh, by, by, uh, by practicing the faith very fervently and by obeying the commandments and cutting yourself off from all the hard culture and uh, the modern culture, uh, uh, those things will attract people who have the faith. See, either you have the faith or you don't. It's, it's a gift from God and... Uh, some people have it and some don't. And those who have it will be naturally attracted to those who are practicing it and who know it. Uh, and that's the, the, the people that you really want to draw. And then, you you know, there's various other ways of helping. Uh, the, the most efficacious way is to help the seminary because a priest can do a thousand times more or a million times more than a, any layperson can do. Uh, so helping... Uh, priests to be trained is is a, an excellent way to propagate the faith. Um, you could, um, uh, you know, you shouldn't be too pushy with people. Though on the other hand, you know, you have to go soft. It, it's a big, big decision to to come to the conclusion that my local parish doesn't have the Catholic faith in it. That's a big decision for people. It's a big decision for people to say. I think Archbishop Lefebvre was incorrect and that the position of the Society of St. Pius X is untenable. That's a big, big decision to make, and they need to be drawn into that gradually and, and, and with you know, uh, a certain amount of diplomacy. So you, know, you don't want to come down too hard. People will say, he should talk. That's, <laughs> that's what people are thinking Bishop Samuel should be talking about diplomacy. Uh, but you do have to be careful in your presentation. Uh, but um, I would say, you know, in the practical order, contribute to things that are uh, that are trying to propagate the faith 
Uh, like, for example, Nova Sorto Watch. Uh, you go on there, you find out about how horrible things are. Uh, and that's very effective. Uh, I would contribute to things that are, things already existing that are, are uh, propagating the faith or enlightening people as to what's going on. Uh, and there are many ways to do that. Uh, and uh, that's because, unfortunately, it, all of that effort comes down to money. It's a terrible thing to say, but it's true. And the more money we pump into those efforts, the more efficacious they're going to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- that's my advice to you. Maybe Father Chicago would like to add something. Oh, the uh, again, I would reemphasize the uh, education, educating yourself uh, about the different issues, uh, trying to boil things down so you truly understand them. So when you do uh, encounter people who have questions, uh, you have a, a clear framework that they can understand. Uh, when you're uh, trying to explain uh, your understanding of the situation in the church. And what Bishop Sanborn said is absolutely correct, that uh, you cannot be uh, too insistent or pushy in the sense that that, uh, you turn people off. That's a question of prudence, and certainly you have to uh, pray for that in uh, in your own apostolate. So I would say that education and and, and prudence, in addition to the um, in addition to the uh, the normal means. Lee, does that answer you. your question? Yeah, that pretty much does. I mean, I don't want to hold anybody else up. It's you know, I'm you know, I want to ask another question. So I was just. I mean, the only thing I was going to add on, as far as my question was, how would you lead people away from people like the Diamond Brothers and that kind of thing? But that's that's just another issue in, in itself. But because there's yeah, people I'm, I know sure that we, run into that kind of thing. So, uh, we can, and, and Lee, we anyway, probably that's, that's get into that. I def, no, that's that's fair, and I definitely want to get into um, the rest of today's document. So we might actually cover that in, in a future show. Yeah. But, but thanks yeah, for yeah, remember it would be uh, something to cover. Yes. In any case, diamonds yeah. are forever, unfortunately. <laughs> well, here, here we, we find out Father Chikata likes Bond movies. Who knew? Um, so that wasn't Father, where Father I came and, from. <laughs> <laughs> Your Excellency, oh, yeah, I forgot. De Beers probably yeah. invented it. So um, for those of you who are just joining us, we are um, a, a, good, a good part, an hour and a half into today's show. You're listening to Clerical Conversations on the Crisis on the Restoration Radio Network. Uh, I am Stephen Heiner. I am joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in the very warm Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Uh, Your Excellency Father, um, I want to move on to the next topic, and I guess I want to let those... the We've, we've got hundreds of listeners right now on our live stream. I want you to know... We've got a lot to cover today, so don't worry, we are going to cover it, but the way that our network works, the stream is only good for two hours, so at the two-hour mark, the stream is going to cut off, but Father and uh, His Excellency will continue talking with me, and we're going to continue, so if you have calls and questions, you can still call the number, it just won't be broadcasting live. About 30 minutes to 45 minutes after that point, the podcast will will drop into the RSS feed, and you can fast forward and hear the final 30 to 45 minutes of the show. But don't worry, we are going to get to the rest of the document. It's just that it may not be live, but you'll be able to get it in a little while, so so don't worry about that. Um, 
I want to move on to the next thing, uh, Your Excellency and Father, which is um, the sixth and ninth issues. The text reads, We cannot insist only on issues related to abortion, gay marriage, and the use of contraceptive methods. The dogmatic and moral teachings of the Church are not all equivalent. The Church's pastoral ministry cannot be obsessed with the transmission of a disjointed multitude of doctrines to be imposed <laughs> insistently. Proclamation in a missionary style focuses on the essentials, on the necessary things. And a, and a caller, um, Mary from California, um, Dear Father Chikata, Francis seems to, to like speaking to the, uh, the public without thought or preparation. I believe this is causing many problems. Do you, too, believe that we are too concerned with marriage, abortion, etc.? Why did Our Lady bother if it was not important? I don't agree that the Church has been too hard on sin. In fact, I believe the opposite has been true. So, Mary's question and the text, Your Excellency, Your Father. Well, that's, uh, uh, that's precisely the point. He is uh, poo-pooing these, uh, the issues to do with the Sixth and Ninth Commandment and uh, saying that, well, uh, to talk about them is to be obsessed with it, and uh, on top of it saying that this is disjointed. Or talk about disjointed in comparison with the interview. And I have to point out also that, that his, um, th- this passage comes exactly um, after the previous passage, which, in which he hints that the confessor should give people a, a free pass on all of these things. So it's, it's uh, as if he is dismissing all of these issues as unimportant. There, there was a, a very famous book uh, of um, uh, uh, popular self-improvement uh, that uh, appeared, I think, 15 or 20 years ago. And it sounds very much like uh, Francis's uh, moral theology program. And the title of it was, the, the book was Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. It's all small stuff. As if this isn't important. So that's what I get from it. He is uh, poo-pooing these issues. You don't have to talk about them. In fact, you probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that statement is just so loaded with problems that you don't know where to begin. Uh, to call the church's moral theology disjointed. <laughs> you know, again, did he ever open a book or did he understand what he was reading? The the church's moral theology has the the tightness of of a, 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 a crystalline diamond. You know, it is it is it is so interconnected and beautifully connected uh, that that it, it all adheres as, as uh, one single doctrine. I mean, anybody who studies it is in awe at the great science of moral theology that has been uh, elucidated by the Catholic Church. It, it, it's a beautiful thing. That's what our seminarians study. I mean, to he, to, for him to say that it's disjointed, I mean, all of those things, uh, for example, that he talked about are based on the natural law. What the, in other words, the Church's condemnation of sodomy, the Church's condemnation of abortion, and the Church's condemnation of uh, artificial contraception is based on the natural law. It all concludes from the natural law. What is disjointed about that? Please tell yes. me, what is disjointed about concluding from the natural law? 
I mean, what kind of a nut is this man? Yeah, if you, you just open a moral theology book, such as we use here, uh, or you, uh, say, uh, open a, an English version of a moral theology book, pre-Vatican II moral theology book in some seminary library, uh, it's all derived, you see very clearly how things are derived from general principles, from, uh, 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 from God's law, and uh, how, how carefully things are reasoned, how tightly it's reasoned. And it's a whole system. Uh, to say that it is uh, disjointed, is, it's crazy. It's like the statement of a madman. There's no, um, uh, there's no coherence between a statement like that uh, and the reality of it, I don't know well, where it's, he gets a, it's similar to you know, the way Father, he blew off Thomism and and the Thomists, and you know he he just blows off all of this scholarship and and thought by people who are infinitely more intelligent and learned than he is, and he just blows it off as if it's nothing. I mean, it's a sign of a really really stupid and ignorant man and a prideful man at that, that you would have the goal and the nerve to blow off all of that. Uh, it, it is, and again, it goes back to the 60s. All of those things were said in the 60s. The, this, this, the, these wild condemnations of pre-Vatican to theology, as if corrupt and, and all no good and, and it all has to be trashed. Uh, I remember at bookstores would take off all the pre-Vatican II uh, theology books and not sell them, and all you could get was Rahner and Kung and all those things. That was the 60s. You couldn't find any of the old stuff. You couldn't find Garrigo. Uh, the, the, uh, because there was a, a repression of those things. He, it's the same thing. We heard it already, all of this stuff. And, and all that they can do is throw rocks at it because it, it stands by itself glorious and perfect. It is a beautiful thing that has been elaborated by the great theologians of the Catholic Church, and it stands on its own. The only thing that these little people can do is throw rocks at it and say stupid, ignorant things about it. And that's what he's doing when he says that it's disjointed. And and as if to say that these great moral teachings of the Catholic Church... <clears throat> Are, you know, just uh, the products of disjointed moral theology. You know that that sodomy. Shall we go back to Genesis? Like what happened to the sodomites in Genesis? Is that the the effect of a small-minded triumphalistic God that they were reduced to ashes from from heaven? You know, or the, well, the other condemnation. You're citing those. Uh... You're citing those oh, decadent, those myths, bankrupt, right? moral theologian, you know, moral theology manuals. You know. Is that that you, know, you got those decadent, you know, texts from 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 those days? Yes. Um, I think that ties in your points there, Your Excellency and Father, tie in directly to the next point, um, which was dismissal of claimants of doc, uh, co dismissal of complaints of doctrinal errors. The text reads, "They run the risk of becoming institutions of censorship." It is amazing to see the denunciations for lack of orthodoxy. <laughs> I can't read this. It is amazing. It is amazing to see the denunciations for lack of orthodoxy that come to Rome. I think the cases should be investigated by the local bishops' conferences, which can get valuable assistance from Rome. These cases, in fact, are much better dealt with locally, 
The Roman congregations are mediators. They are not middlemen or managers. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, the uh, that's a... a, a <laughs> there are several things that are going on there. Uh, first of all, it's a he's it's a poke in the eye of uh, the twenty percent of the conservatives of those people who, despite Vatican II, have managed to uh, you know cling to uh, certain principles of the Catholic faith because they're the ones who still try to uh, denounce the uh, theological errors at a local level to Rome. I remember being, um, uh, you know, part of that myself when I was back in that uh, uh, atmosphere in the 60s and 70s, you know, cheering on those who were going to uh, denounce the uh, different errors of, of the local modernists to the Holy Father, and the Holy Father was going to take care of it. And, um, uh, you know, how much hope and everything we put in that, that he would... Uh, you know, regulate these terrible errors and heresies that were being promoted. So the um, Bergoglio Francis's statement here is a poke in the eye of people like that who still exist. That's mm-hmm. he is uh, that uh, this isn't this isn't important. And then he uh, says that uh, the bishops' conferences should handle all of this. Well, what are you wearing a white cassock for? I mean, <laughs> the uh, you know you're supposed to be the guide of the faithful and uh, uh, rule, in effect, you know, long term at least. One could say on, on, on doctrinal issues and, and suppress doctrinal errors, and you're going to outsource it. Why not send it to the Hindus in India? You're, you're not well. You uh, the the idea that the bishops' conferences. Uh, would take care of it. Well, it's uh, you know precisely on the local level that people have problems, and they're not going to do anything about it because they believe the errors themselves. So it's 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 this uh, uh, twofold idea of a poke in the eye of the the those who try to retain the Catholic faith and a denial of uh, responsibility, blowing it off. It's not important. Witness the this, the man that called in that he tried to complain to the local archdiocese and he couldn't get by the call screener. Yeah. Uh, the reason why those denunciations are made to Rome is because there's no satisfaction on the local level. Uh, and instead of criticizing those, he should see those things with alarm, that if there's a lot of uh, red flags coming up from various parts of the world concerning the orthodoxy or the lack of orthodoxy of various persons in a diocese, that he should see that uh, as a very bad sign and that something needs to be done. His first duty is the preservation of doctrine. The Catholic Church is a society of faith. It is it, The rock foundation of the Catholic Church is the faith. And his first duty is to protect the faith. If he sees that the, the the sheep are being poisoned by somebody who uh, it, you know it does not have the faith, it is his solemn duty to to take steps to correct it. That is the the first line of Pascendi Dominici Gregis. The the Saint Pius X said the duty that I have of feeding the flock of of the Lord is is to protect them from evil doctrines and. and 
he said, you know, I, I have tried to do everything I could uh, by trying to, to convince these people to, to give up their evil errors, but uh, to no avail, and now I must speak publicly and condemn their errors. That's a real pope. That's what real popes do. But this man is, is an imposter. He's just a, he's just a guy. Uh, and uh, he has no care of the faithful. He has no care of doctrine. He's a heretic. And he really doesn't care that there's lack of orthodoxy. He probably thinks it's pretty good. He would pro- he would be very, the, one of the very ones that would be denounced to Rome. Well, and I, I think of that quote: "Feed my sheep, feed my lambs," and um, that really that really doesn't work when you're letting them find their own paths that they have a flair for finding. Uh, I, I thought that was I thought that was getting lost the last time I checked. <laughs> Um, the, the next subject we're going to get into is synodality, but I thought um, I would preface that by sharing uh, Novus Ordo Watch um, tweeted us uh, a link to an El Pais story that was posted about an hour and a half ago. The headline reads, Pope Francis contemplates appointing a female cardinal. Uh, and it oh. goes on to quote from this from this interview in which there's a parsing of uh, where is the text? Dignity, the dignity of the office, um, the dignity of the office versus having the office. So um, I'll read the text, and uh, if you want, Your Excellency the Father, um, I tell you, it just—it's like it's like a buffet. You just you just can't uh, can't focus on one thing. So the text reads: We must walk together, the people, the bishops, and the Pope. Synodality should be lived at various levels. Maybe it is time to change the methods of the Synod of Bishops because it seems to me that the current method is not dynamic. This will also have ecumenical value, especially with our Orthodox brethren. From them we can learn more from, the <laughs> from them we can learn more about the meaning of episcopal collegiality and the tradition of synodality. Um, so Orthodox cardinals maybe, uh, women, women cardinals. Um, Your Excellency Father, please. Um, well, let's explain what synodality is first. It, the, um, that's sort of a neologism, a, a word that uh, he's cooked up. I don't remember ever seeing that before, but I assume the idea is this, that in the Orthodox, so-called Orthodox uh, Church, the, the schismatics with the big fuzzy beards, they, have, they govern themselves by synods, which are deliberative and... Uh, legislative bodies consisting of bishops and in some cases I think some lower clergy and perhaps even members of the laity. So that's where, so that's a synod. Now what he's, uh, so that's the concept he's talking about and he's uh, hinting that this is, is, no he's saying that this is a really good idea to uh, deal with the structure now of the Catholic Church. I remember synods after Vatican II uh, being uh, uh, promoted as the idea of, of, of uh, how you would achieve this collegiality of bishops, the bishops supposedly um, uh, working together with the Pope. Right? But uh, in reality, it was the uh, idea of basically the democratization of the church that was part of the uh, a part of it so what 
it never really went anywhere under Paul VI. You had a synod of bishops uh, who would occasionally meet, and this continued under JP II and under, on, uh, I don't know if there's one under Ratzinger or not, but it, it was something infrequent, and it was sort of a uh, pro forma type of um, uh, type of body. I remember one under JP II um, that was people were talking about restoring the sense of the sacred. Well, you know, a fat lot of good that did everyone. Uh, you know, if you look at the mass that was celebrated in Brazil. So you had. Uh, so this is the idea, and he's mentioned this several times as uh, the way to go in the future. So uh, my uh, prediction is that he's going to have institute the Bishop Senate as some sort of an um, international senate for the bishops. And then um, that you would also have this at the local level. On the books in the Novus Ordo uh, Code of Canon Law now, the uh, bishops' conferences don't really have any legal authority. But I think that uh, Bergoglio would give them teeth. That's his idea. So you have a general synod, you have a local synod. And uh, what is also possible, the third thing that you mentioned is uh, lady cardinals or cardinalettes. Uh, this was something that was uh, promoted in the 60s. I remember them talking about it, that, that the more um, uh, advanced uh, professors that I had talking about, well, now's the time to appoint lay cardinals to um, uh, elect the Pope and to assist the Pope, not only um, and not only lay men, but lay women as well. This is a great way for them to participate. All so, I want to know is, is, is Gamarelli going to make her, her outfit? That's all I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> the water stuff, right? For those of you who don't no, I, know, Gamarelli is the tailor of choice for any uh, any cleric with taste. Uh, I think what it would involve is it probably would involve watered silk slacks. Um, <laughs> I think that that probably would be the uniform. <laughs> so, yes, yes. It would look like Merkel. <laughs> the whole uh, the um, what it would the last thing of course is absurd and we can laugh about it but theoretically they could do it. Sure. There's nothing to uh, stop them from doing it to change the, the law to make lady cardinals. And as far as the synodality, that some version of that is coming and be ready for it. And that's when the revolution will really take off. Yes, for the lady cardinals, all I can say is I hope they do it. Yes. Now, it will, Father, it will I want wake to some people so, up. So people will be under. Are you saying that uh, from the Catholic position that it, it would be permissible, but but just not traditional? Or are you saying that the Novus Ordo Church is free to do whatever it wants? No, I'm I'm saying that the sooner that people realize that that is a phony religion, the better. And as soon as a, a woman is made a cardinalette by them, it, it might wake up some more people that this is a phony religion. That's what I mean by it. Uh, okay. The uh, the idea of, of involving a woman in the government of the church is something totally untraditional. Anybody that has, has the basics of Catholic faith knows that. And they never participated in the government of the church. The... the any kind of dignity, a clerical dignity, is necessarily associated with the priesthood. It is true that there were laypersons who were cardinals, 
but the the uh the it is something that that is associated with the priesthood and therefore is associated with uh with males and uh for that reason it just is, does not pertain to women to be cardinals but as i said you know i mean the the sooner that people wake up the better yeah and that would might wake up a, a certain certain a certain persons that might wake them up well, I mean, it would certainly if have that to, happens, you, you're obviously you're going to get the deaconesses, and they'll be on the altar and helping the priest. And uh, you know, he is tearing down so much stuff and so fast that I, I really think he's making a path to women priests. Well, I, I think you're right. I think there'd have way. to be a, there'd have to be a gamarellas uh, to, to deal with <laughs> with that entirely new new market. Well, maybe it was um, all those Italian movies he talked about watching. I think one of the actresses in the 60s was Claudia Cardinale. So <laughs> that would have been his source of inspiration. <laughs> well, we're we're about five minutes from the end of our live stream, so I want to make sure our... Um, our listeners get to hear um, from our show sponsor one more time, um, which tonight, Jared very generously sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrtoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrtoWatch.org, that's NovusOrtoWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. That's NovusOrtoWatch.org. And I have for to those say who are just point that, that uh, Stephen, that it does, Novus Ordo Watch, uh, really pulls together an awful lot of stuff. And it, it saves you searching uh, different sites on, uh, on your own. So it's a very valuable research. It should be something that you check every morning. Look at that. There's a clerical plug right there. I don't think you could ask for, for, for anything better. Um, for those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Clerical Conversations on the Crisis. This is show number six. And tonight we've devoted the entire show to discussing the 12,000-word La Civilta Cattolica interview with Francis, Ber Francis Jorge Bergoglio. And uh, we're, we're, we've covered uh, quite a few points so far. For those of you who are listening live, as I said earlier, in a few minutes the stream will cut off. But don't worry, we're going to continue and finish the show and I, to be safe, I said 30 or 45 minutes. In about one more hour, you can check back and just download the podcast, fast forward two hours in, and then you can listen to the rest of the show. Um, I'm going to go to the next point, which is somewhat obvious at this point, uh, Your Excellency and Father, which is Vatican II, the Great and Irreversible. The text reads, Vatican II produced a renewal movement that simply comes from the same gospel. Its fruits are enormous. Just recall the liturgy. Dynamic, uh, uh, well, I can just stop right there. Just, re <laughs> just, uh, just recall the liturgy, Your Excellency. Just recall the liturgy, Father. Yeah, it's been a wonderful, uh, had, has had wonderful fruit. You know, by their fruits you shall know them. And, and the fruit of the Vat of Vatican II and the liturgy has just been a wonderful thing, hasn't it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <We're> <laughs> 
Ken, you know, what is he smoking? You know, what what world is he living in? Uh, he's completely out of touch with reality. And again, it's the 60s. It's that optimism of the 60s that this is all great. When they still had all of the people before they were alienated. Uh, when it still had all the strength of the Church of Pius XII. They had this optimism that everything was just just coming up roses and wonderful, and, and he's talking that way, and he doesn't realize that fifty years has passed since he got out of the seminary, and and that again, you know, Hiroshima has is is <laughs> if you look out the window, it looks like Hiroshima. <laughs> uh, so they, you know, I mean, he doesn't even deserve a comment. Well, I mean, what is he smoking? I mean, maybe JP2 left some stuff that he brought back from uh, Assisi. Maybe it's there in the apartments. He might have, One of those might Eastern have, uh, trips that, that he did when he visited, you know, Buddhists in India or something, you know. It's a mini bar in the hotel. You know, yeah. It's just a person you cannot take seriously. You know, it's just a, a, a babbler and a, saying things that have no connection with reality. You know, to say, as as he said in another place, not in this interview, but that the church has never been in such good condition, has never been so well. And, you, know, you can't even take that seriously. He, he's he's like a person with dementia. You know, you just, you, you just look the other way and you're embarrassed. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it, as I, we always get back to that, that, you know, detachment from reality, ignorance, uh, slowness of mind, you know, that, that's what he manifests every time he opens his mouth. And this is another thing that, you know, Vatican II is great. Come on, you know, it, it's a disaster. When he, say, he says in the quote further down after that that uh, every, all of this is absolutely irreversible. That uh, you had a, the Vatican II is a given, and um, one simply is, is, is going forward, and that's another poke in the eye. Because uh, uh, against twenty percent, uh, because in his his own disjointed way, uh, then he goes immediately from that comment uh, about V two and the liturgy being absolutely irreversible to the next thing about the traditional liturgy, where mm-hmm. he says that uh, uh, there are particular issues like the liturgy according to the Vetus Ordo, traditional mass. I think uh, Pope Benedict was. Uh, the decision of Pope Benedict to allow wider use of the Trinitarian Mass is pr- was prudent and motivated by a desire to help people who have the, excuse me, the sensitivity. What is worrying, though, is the risk of the ideologization. Oh, tur- that means it's a jargon word for turning uh, something into an ideology. Uh, the the uh, ideologizing of the the old ordo and its exploitation. So he's. Um, Telling you on one hand that all of this was great and irreversible, but that um, the old order of mass represents a threat. It's, he's poking mm-hmm. people in the eye again, mm-hmm. and that again would be typical of his uh, mentality of, of the time that he came from. That this is regarded as a threat to mm-hmm. the new order of the uh, of the church and the wonderful new world of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it's uh, an ide- ideology means the doctrine. That means a system of doctrine, dogma. That, that's, yes. that's, uh, that's the translation of ideology. 
so that if you attach the traditional mass to dogma, then you're bad. See, the traditional mass should be only an exercise of sensibilities, that it's uh, it's like listening to classical music or something, that it pleases you to see these pretty things. And that's, uh, that's what they try to reduce it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the ones who are more... Um, who've looked into it a little bit more. Um, we'll say that the, we'll admit that there is a doctrinal difference. Uh, the the uh, head of Univoce was talking with, uh, I think, with Cardinal Benelli during the, the wonderful days of Paul VI. And he, the head of Univoce, of course, was asking for the old mass. And uh, Benelli said to him that it represents a different ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. That's how it's understood, in a whole different theological system. It's oh, it might be okay to admit it uh, because of personal sensitivities uh, or for aesthetic reasons, but uh, for anything be- beyond that, it's a danger. And maybe yes. even for that, it's a danger. And that's his mm-hmm. point. Yes. Yes. Well, and that that segues into the next uh, point, um, Your Excellency and Father, which is. What is worrying, though, is the risk uh, of the idealization which you which you stated. Um, with Vedas Ordo and Novus Ordo, I suppose that some a lot of our listeners have picked up on the idea of, of Novus Ordo and what that means. But um, for those who haven't, Father Chikata has an excellent book called Work of Human Hands, a theological critique of the Mass of Paul VI, which you can get at sggresources.org. And if you ask nicely, Father might even autograph it for you. Um, <laughs> But uh, that, uh, if you um, don't feel like picking up a book, Father's made it even easier for you. You can go to YouTube.com uh, and just type in Father Chikata, and you'll find his channel. And he's got chapter summaries in video. So don't complain about having to read. Father's done all the hard work for you. Um, we're moving on to the, the next point uh, but before we do, we're going to uh, take um, our last call of the night, Your Excellency and Father, and it's from Paula, and she wants to know about um, what doctrine, if any, is given to Novus Ordo seminarians. Paula, you're on the air. Um, hi. Um, hi. I'm very, I'm very curious to find out if when a young man is studying to be a priest, if at some point they actually do bring in and present the full body of doctrine and how they're dealing with it or not. And I've heard a lot about the new theology. Is something compared and contrasted to it at that time, or they throw this out and accept that? How does that work? Good question. Um, Well, that's a a question I've tried to find out the answer to, uh, and it's a, a little bit difficult. Uh, you see, in the, the uh, uh, traditional Catholic seminaries before Vatican II, you had um, uh, different sets of, of books that gave you an overview of Catholic teaching, and they're called dogmatic manuals, manuals of dogmatic theology, where everything was presented in a very systematic way. Uh, because of Vatican II, all of that, that whole system was uh, thrown out, and it depended from seminary to seminary uh, what sort of formation you got in uh, theology. 
uh, in Catholic dogma, Catholic doctrine, or in moral theology, sort of the science of, of uh, virtue and, and sin and how one, one understands that. So there was this um, uh, loss of, of uh, any sort of system in presenting what you're supposed to know as a priest. The uh, what One of the things that interested me is uh, I wanted to find out what uh, methods were followed in a supposedly uh, somewhat traditional seminary, such as, as those that operated um, with Vatican approval under the uh, um, under the, the Ecclesia Dei Commission. The Fraternity of St. Peter interested me. And what I found out there, at least as of a couple of years ago, is uh, their courses followed the uh, JP2 Catechism, the CCC, the Catechism of uh, the Catholic Church, uh, which of course is is um, based is, is sort of an overall systematization of the woolly theology of Vatican II. So that's the closest that you're really going to get to a system, and I imagine it's it's completely, uh, apart from instances like that, it completely varies from place to place, that in fact, there are no norms and there's no real way of telling. So that's the long answer to the question. I it know all, that in our... It also depends uh, uh, professor to professor, on prof you know, that you could get a mix of various people in a single a seminary where one might be fairly good, the other is very bad. You're never going to get in one of those modernist seminaries, though, somebody that uh, would be like a typical professor from Pius XII's time. You can't get away with taking a Latin book and, and going through uh, all of the Thomistic uh, doctrines uh, in dogma and, and moral theology. I mean, that's just not done anymore. No. I have noticed that Thomistic theology is pretty much thrown out, at least in our deck of the woods here. And and I've tried for years to be able to e even obtain some kind of written documentation that you use to study to study or um, to teach uh, children catechism, and nothing is written down. It's all taught in the, the annual little leadership courses that they have, and you write things down. Nothing's even given to you in handout form. And it's all, you know, by experience, they stress experience. Your personal faith experience. Mm -hmm. So I, I just yeah. I'm very confused about it. I'm on the point of having to really decide, you know, which way I want to go. I I absolutely know without a doubt that the traditional way is correct, but I, you know, as as to the Pope and being, you know, you have to be in line with the Pope. I mean, you can't not believe that the Pope is the Pope and still be a Catholic, or at least that's what I've thought. And it's all kind of very confusing. Yes, because the natural inclination of a Catholic is to say that the, the person who has been elected uh, in Rome is the Pope and that uh, he uh, should be obeyed. And, of course, that is normal and correct. Uh, but when the, the evidence is contrary to his orthodoxy, I mean, the condition of his being the Pope is that he maintain the Catholic faith. So if he is not maintaining the Catholic faith, if he is promulgating a false faith, there's no possible way that he has the authority of Christ to rule the church if he's promulgating a false faith. His authority uh, more, comes from Christ. So, one more question. Yes. Um, 
then if you are to, to, to take yourself and make the decision for yourself and your family to go ahead to a traditional church, and in where I live, it's like the Mass is only offered every two weeks. So you're no longer going to church. You don't want to do the back and forth thing, but you're no longer going to church in essence every single week. So would that be counted as a mortal sin not going? No, is no, it okay no. to go every two weeks? No, there's an old saying, you only miss Mass when you have a Mass to miss. Thank you, Father. And Thank secondly, you. in the 19th century, we may not realize it, especially those who live in the more populated areas of this country, but in places like Montana, in the 19th and even 20th centuries, even in the 50s, they would see Mass once a month. They lived in these rural, rural areas, these huge fields of wheat, and the priest would come through on one Sunday a month and say Mass in, in, a, in a very simple little church. That was life. Uh, it wasn't uh, always the church around the corner in, in a lot of parts of the United States for a long, long time. Uh, so, you know, the, the, uh, the fact that, the, or, or in, in, in uh, Protestant England, when it was illegal to be a Catholic, the priest would come through once in a while and say Mass, and, and under very, very uh, straightened circumstances. Uh, and he might be arrested. Uh, it is the famous beer, uh, beer Masses of Bishop Challoner. He's the one that is famous for having uh, revised the Douay Reims version. And uh, he used to say Mass in taverns. And they always, during the Mass, they would always keep a mug of beer uh, so that if the English police came, they would put everything away, take the mug of beer, put it on the table, and start drinking beer. As if nothing, you know, they're just sitting around a tavern drinking beer. I mean, these, these are the conditions that the Catholic Church has had to put up with, and we can still retain the faith despite these horrible conditions. And uh, and uh, also remember that you go to Mass to please God, not to please yourself. Right. That that the Mass must be pleasing to God, and if even if it were once a year that you could find a Mass pleasing to God, well then so be it, that's pleasing to God. But you don't go to Mass to simply, you know, simply for reasons of your own piety and accept something that is unacceptable to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Paula, could I could I um could I tell you thanks for your question. I know the radio show is not the best format for this, but it sounds like you still got a lot of questions and I I've been where you've been before. So if you've got a pen, I just wanted to give you Father Chicada's uh -huh. number at the parish and uh when you've got more time to to have this conversation, give him a ring and you can kind of walk through some of the difficulties you're having. Um All right, thank you. and that's um five one three six four five Four two one two, five one three six four five four two one two. And he's he's down at the seminary this week. But um, if you call next week, he'll be there. And um, just write down the questions you have, and then just walk through that, walk through those with him, and he'll be able to help you. All right, thank so you. Very good. Look forward okay. to talking to you. Tell us. All right, take thank care. You. Okay. Bye. -bye. Well. Uh, Your Excellency and Father, we are moving on towards. Um, Religious uncertainty, which is a great thing, apparently. Oh, that's what I heard. Uh, <laughs> I heard someone say that. The, the, the text is, The risk in seeking and finding God in all things, then, is the willingness to explain too much, to say with human certainty and arrogance, God is here, 
it's arrogant to say that God is here, like that he would be in a tabernacle or something. Again, this is the 60s idea. That, that I remember people with with posters that said, you can't put God in a box. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, that uh, certainty was regarded as a uh, as a symbol of arrogance, as something that uh, one really could not have. That everything it's triumphalistic. was triumphalistic. Yeah, it's triumphalistic. Yes, I have all the answers. Yeah, to say right. that uh, is is a blasphemy against the Blessed Sacrament. Let that be said. Of course, but that's a blasphemy. That cries to heaven for vengeance. To say that about the blessed sacrament of the altar. And if anyone can't see that, he's as blind as a bat. My goodness, to say that about the blessed sacrament, to insult the blessed sacrament of the altar, our Lord himself, that's a blasphemy. And it was everywhere. Absolutely Mm -hmm. everywhere. Well, you sound very certain of yourself, Your Excellency. I don't know if that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally certain about myself. <laughs> that's very, that's very triumphal. And I'm small-minded. I'm a Pelagian, camp. and I, I'm like those people that stone Saint Stephen. Oh. <laughs> well, and, and I, I suppose I do spiritual bouquets too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, we're we're at a good point to kind of wrap up um, with the last quote, if the uh, which is warning against trads. Uh, if the Christian is a restorationist, a legalist. If he wants everything clear and safe, then he will find nothing. Tradition and memory of the past must help us to have the courage to open up new areas to God. Those who today always look for disciplinarian solutions, those who long for an exaggerated doctrinal security, those who stubbornly try to recover a past that no longer exists, they have a static and inward-directed view of things. In this way, faith becomes an ideology among other ideologies. You're a very bad man, Your Excellency and Father. <laughs> but our consciences say we're not, so I guess that's okay, right? <laughs> well, there you go. There yeah. you go. We're here the atheists. They, they're, they're okay, but, you know, we're rotten. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, he regards... First of all, the Catholic faith gives absolute certitude of the dogmas of the faith because they are believed on the authority of God revealing. And we are heretics even if we should call into doubt a single dogma of the Catholic faith. We lose the Catholic faith. We are liable to hell. We are going to hell by the the mere doubt of a single dogma of the Catholic faith. That is the teaching of the Catholic Church. Uh, to to call in or to criticize the idea of doctrinal security uh, is to criticize the faith itself. The whole purpose of the Catholic Church is to have doctrinal security. Uh, I compared it to financial security. The whole purpose of a bank is financial security. Suppose the bank said to you, you know, you have a problem that you think you're going to have your money here all the time. Or that you know, and you walk in the bank and you expect to find a balance. <laughs> you know, they, you know, you've got problems. You, you're all, you know, you're an ideologue, and you know, you have to be more fluid and and uh, open. And that's traditional banking. The new banking is that you never know what's going to come down the pike. <laughs> you know, I mean, you would say, would anybody put the money in the bank? 
You know, what is the purpose of the Catholic Church? Going therefore, teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Those who do not believe shall be condemned. Quote from our blessed Lord. Now, what is he saying? He's contradicting our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. And he should be accused, and his mask of being a Catholic pope should be ripped off his face. Father, yeah, how one can sit and, and well, I mean, how uh, you can sit, one can sit and listen to uh, outrage after outrage uh, from this man, and it's tonight. It's one after the other, yeah. uh, just one uh, awful thing that attacks the Catholic faith after another, and um, there's too much to put a spin on to try to uh, explain things away. Yeah. Uh, it's the the, the uh, one thing after another uh, piles up. In response, uh, in this regard to the the uh, caller that we had uh, earlier, the the woman who uh, spoke about, uh, you know, that how could one say this or think this about the Pope? Uh, that uh, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, that you could say somehow he has fallen from the Catholic faith. Well, it's the, the aggregation, the, the piling up of uh, statements like this. And this is, you know, Regolia's statements are there's a, a, a simply part of a long list. And for each of us who had been in the situation of the caller, we each had something that, as it were, sort of broke the camel's back where we said, this cannot be Catholic uh, anymore, this this act, this this law, this teaching cannot be uh, Catholic anymore. And then the, the the light dawns on you. There's plenty of that tonight. And as Bishop Sanborn points out, this undercuts the whole commission of our Blessed Lord uh, to teach and preach the gospel and to convert people, because the point is the faith and is doctrinal security. And if you give up on that you don't have the right to call yourself a Catholic. No. Why have a Catholic church if you're not providing doctrinal security? For what reason do you have it? I mean, why is the no basilica built for what? For what? Well, so that we can have doctrinal doubt? And even though it sounds like a rhetorical question, the answer to it is, is uh, you know, the real answer. That uh, if you accept this system, the whole church and the teaching of our blessed Lord is rendered pointless. Absolutely pointless. And that's what, the, that's what Vatican II has done with the uh, liberty of conscience, the evolution of dogma, uh, the... Uh, change in, in the discipline that reflects these uh, uh, changes in, in dogma, uh, permitting all sorts of, of errors to be spread and promulgated for uh, 50 years. And then uh, the cherry on top is this, that, well, it doesn't, you have no security anyway. Well, in their system, you don't. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that's a really good place to draw things to a close, Your Excellency and Father. Um and I, I think I would just add my own story. I, I I wasn't on the last show that His Excellency and Father Ron and they were sharing some war stories, and I think Nicholas and Justin were commiserating with one or two of the callers. 
And I was going to share that same sort of story. Um, I've had numerous ones, but for those who are listening, um, we've got a lot of emails from from people who uh, attend the Novus Ordo and are being woken up by this interview and are asking questions. Um, we've all been there. His Excellency was at a Novus Ordo seminary. Father Chicado was at a Novus Ordo seminary, and they were ridiculed. They were considered, you know, the old fogies, uh, even before they were old fogies. I, I'm just kidding, Your Excellency. <laughs> but, um, but I remember one specific time, and I'll, I'll just share this. Um, I was still attending. I was at the Novus Ordo. I was going to daily mass um, with the six other people who go to daily mass at a Novus Ordo parish. And I would kneel for receiving. I would kneel and receive communion on the tongue. And this pr- provoked this this outrage provoked a talking to at the end of mass. So the mass wasn't even finished. So um, they're going to proceed to whatever the final prayer is, what we would call the post communion in the tra- in the traditional mass. And he said, um, you know, there are some people who are using an outdated posture to receive our Lord, and we don't do that anymore after Vatican II. Uh, we stand and we receive communion on the hand, and you're just being divisive if you receive. I, I don't remember what else he said. It was something along those lines, and I remember I just felt every all six people, however many people were in the church, looking right at me, and I just sort of collapsed into my pew afterwards, and everyone kind of cleared out, and I just sort of held myself together, and I was crying. I was a 17 year old kid, but I remember crying because I was so confused. I thought, you know, Lord, I'm trying to honor, I'm trying to honor our Lord. And I'm being called out by a priest at Mass for trying just kneeling. I wasn't harming anybody. In fact, I, I tried to kneel and get up as quickly as I could so that I wouldn't delay the five other people behind me from receiving communion as fast as possible. And um, and I've been there. So all of us have been there, everyone who's been on the show, the clergy and and the lay people. We know the confusion, we know the difficulty, um, but just know that the clergy are here for you to answer your calls, to try to to get through the confusion. It's very confusing. It takes a long time to understand things when, when, when you have to put it all together, but when you do put it all together, it all fits together. The, the Catholic Church, as Bishop Sanborn has said, is this glowing, beautiful diamond of truth. It doesn't need to be clarified in the media because some some claimant misspoke it's true because it's true and that's and that's what's so attractive about it and that's what makes it worth dying for uh instead of the claptrap um that is promoted here um any anything else your excellency or father that you'd like to close with that we didn't get to today uh no i think we covered everything so far but uh you know fasten your seat belts uh, what's coming down in the next month or two, I'm sure. The beginning of October, I think, is going to be pretty wild because yes. um, uh, scheduled um, uh, Francis has scheduled a meeting of the eight cardinals who are supposed to function as his advisors for reform, he says, of the Roman Curia and uh, other uh, issues to do with the church. So they're meeting from uh, the first through the third, and then uh, Francis himself is going up to uh, Assisi for the Feast of St. Francis, which is uh, Friday the 4th of October, and um, I'm sure we can expect something really wild uh, to happen at uh, Assisi. So stay tuned. We'll probably have to put another special program out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Well, again, Your Excellency and, and Father, thank you so much for your time. Um, I know I mentioned it at the beginning of the show, but I also want to mention it again now. Um, his Excellency and Father are just starting up the school year at the seminary, um, and they need your prayers, but of course they also need your support. Um, and you can uh, send a check along with a thank you note to His Excellency at 1000 Spring Lake Highway, Brooksville, Florida, 34602. Again, that's 1000 Spring Lake Highway, Brooksville, Florida, 34602. Remember that any gift of $75 or more um, allows you to get Bishop Sanborn's monthly newsletter. But as I said, we normally run the special here. You can get that newsletter for contributing $100. So you don't have to worry about contributing 75 <laughs> As long as you contribute $100 or more, then you can get that uh, newsletter. That's a special um, product. It's, it's a spe- it's, we're special. It's a Vatican II special. Um, the uh, the website that Father Chicotta runs is sggresources.org, and um, you can write to him at 4900 Rialto Road. That's R-I-A-L-T-O Road, Westchester, Ohio, 45069. Again, that's 4900 Rialto Road. As I said, uh, as I mentioned to one of the callers, if you wanted to check in and talk to Father Chicotta, more, this is not a good week to do it. He's at the seminary teaching classes. But if you wanted to call next week, you can find that information at sgg.org. Um, as always, uh, Your Excellency and Father, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I know it's very valuable. I know it's quite late over there in Florida. So thanks for joining us, and um, we'll see you next time. Thanks, David. Thank you. Good Bye. night. Thank you. And we'll uh, close with Tues Petrus, which was the uh, the piece that you heard earlier, um, because all Catholics do love the papacy, and this is a, a piece that reminds us of that. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.